Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's a conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined this week, as always, by my friend, my constant Keyforge companion. It's Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, buddy. How's it going? Not too badly, not too badly. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, sort of in-person play versus online play in this episode. Uh, It's a rich topic. It's one that I think both Blake and I have a lot of feelings about. Would you say that's accurate? Oh, 100%. But first, there are some tidings from the world of Keyforge that have to be addressed, I think, before we can get on to the topic. Uh, Blake, were you ready for this full-on another set announcement this close to the release of Mass Mutation? Um, no, definitely not. <laughs> I think, I think one thing is like, it's cool and everything, but I think they gave us a little bit too much. I think maybe just saying the name of the set and what houses were rotating out and seeing like the logo would have been enough. Cause I think that's what they did when they announced the star Alliance and, uh, Saurians coming in. I don't mm-hmm. think they showed a ton of cards, if any, a last gen con. So I think it would have been appropriate to not give as much as they did. When it's just on the heels of the most recent set mass mutation coming out, which I think it's safe to say everyone is still wrapping their heads around. I 100% agree with you on that. It was really hard for me to get mentally excited about the announcement of the new set because I'm still so much in the, the fact that like the idea that mass mutation is new and we're still working to understand mass mutation. But for those of you who haven't heard the news, uh, the Gen Con announcement came that uh, Keyforge's next set, Dark Tidings, due sometime in quarter one of 2021, so not for a solid five or six months in all likelihood, uh, will be coming out. Dis is rotating out and are being replaced with a new house, House Unfathomable, who are uh, undersea-themed. So if you remember Valocanth from Worlds Collide, the anomaly, that was the first taster that we had of uh, this sort of house, and they're going to presumably be represented in this set. There's a whole new mechanic, a high tide, low tide thing, um, a couple of other changes going around. We don't want to dig too deep in this right now because, you know, the, the the press release is there on Fantasy Flight's website for anybody who wants to read it, along with a couple of preview cards. But just in general, I think we wanted to sort of address the fact that there's going to be a couple of new mechanics and a couple of new things coming around the pike, including a whole new house. And we know that that's, you know, Upcoming, literally the next set. Yeah, and I, and I think the thing that people are most excited about was the evil twin thing, which mm-hmm. um, I thought that that might have been the most unnecessary part of the announcement because people are already going to be in awe of the fact that there's a whole new house. Yeah, and then creating and then revealing like the whole new chase card system that's going to exist in this next set felt like you could have done that maybe in a month or so and had a little bit more. Unless the set is that exciting that there's more to come. I'm sure that there's more to come and I'm sure we're going to see like way more preview stuff as the months wear on. I 100% agree with you that I think that they gave away way too much for this announcement, especially to where it's just like, look, it's a virtual Gen Con this year for obvious reasons. You know, they, they, they were already announcing a bunch of other stuff related to fantasy flight games. They've already got a set that's out right now that people are still like excited about in mass mutation. You know, you could have saved a little bit more of this for later. One way or the other, the the point is that we're going to be hearing a ton about Dark Tidings, I feel, uh, as the months wear on. Um, I am sort of interested as well in the packaging change that you pointed out to me. Um, 
they are no longer going to be, uh, from the looks of it, packaging individual Archon decks, like just your plain vanilla deck in a cardboard box sealed in plastic. It looks like it's going to be in like a booster style packaging, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. I do too. I mean, if it's the reason being is that's the only layer of wrapping and then you crack it open and your cards are ready to go, um, that makes sense because you eliminate the whole cardboard side and then f- and then being wrapped around plastic beyond that. Mm. Uh, but if it's like basically a plastic deck in a plastic wrapping, then uh, I don't know how uh, environmentally friendly that is. Yeah, I mean, cardboard's recyclable, but at the same yeah. time, this is just one layer of plastic and hopefully recyclable at that. So, um, you know, there'll be so much more time for us to discuss this. I am really curious about disleaving and what people's thoughts are going to be around that. I haven't heard too many people discussing this. I think just because everybody's brain is still in that mass mutation uh, headspace. I will point mm-hmm. out, though, that House Unfathomable has one of the coolest house logos. I'm totally with you on that. I love the color scheme that they've got going on. There's yeah. like a, a real cool, like deep underwater blues, dark purples, uh, you know, just it, it looks really slick and I'm very into it. Me too. But that is not what we were going to be talking about for the majority of this episode. We are here to talk a little bit about online play versus IRL play. And that's something that, you know, we, we've sort of had to really re-engage with because for the first, you know, several months of quarantine, we were only playing online. And I know that impacted me mentally in the way that I approached the game. Did you find the same for you, Blake? Uh, For sure. Yeah. I I think we were blessed in the fact that there wasn't something new right when it happened, because that is the main reason of, of why you and I decided to go about this episode was because we do have a new set and we're learning new things Mm -hmm. and the difference between doing that online versus, um, IRL, which you and I have both been blessed to be able to do on a weekly basis because of uh, the protocols that we have at a game store. So I would definitely agree with you. The The mental side of it, like just when we came back and, and sat down, it was the, the funny thing was I was I was quite, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but uh, pleasantly surprised at how natural it felt to sit down and get back into those old rhythms that are completely Mm -hmm. different from online play i didn't expect that to happen yeah i 100 percent agree with you on that one it was one of those pleasant surprises and especially to where we were playing with like us you know rick uh jd who's been a guest on this podcast in the past you know people that we know well that we've played with so many times and i think that really helped ease us back in if we you know it was Mm -hmm. us coming back to the physical game but playing with complete strangers, I don't know that it necessarily would have felt the same. But this was, to me, the ideal way to really learn a new set was just we're all together. We're all friends. We all understand the direction that we're coming from in on this. Nobody's going to be a jerk. You know, it, it's yeah. very much that state of mind of just we're all in this together. So let's let's one, take all the precautions that need to be taken together to make sure that we're all safe. But two, let's all have fun together while we're learning this brand new set. And that's, that's you know, worth its weight in gold, I think, when approaching a brand new set. Yeah, I agree. One of the things that I, I think right off the top that we really wanted to stress about this, and it's a point that we've made several times on this podcast, is that as much as we're going to be talking about the value of in-person play versus uh, online play, there's a couple of things that need to be considered. One, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I'm probably getting tired of hearing me sing this song, but if the store you are going to 
is not taking the necessary precautions for your safety in terms of limiting the number of people in the store, in terms of providing things like hand sanitizer, in terms of uh, insistence on hand washing, uh, providing barriers and things like that, you do not need to play there. It is not worth the risk to your health to go to a store that isn't taking your safety and the safety of the people in your community uh, to heart. The other thing that I wanted to address is the fact that we know there are a ton of people, including many very high-level competitive Keyforge players, who simply do not have a local scene to play in IRL, whose whole experience with Keyforge, unless they've been at tournaments in the past, has been online. That's how they test decks. That's how they get their reps in, et cetera, et cetera. And nothing we want to say today, we, we want to acknowledge that because we don't want to make it sound like there's, you know... If you can only ever play online, you know, that's that's not as good as it should be or that's not good enough. Uh, I, I really want folks to understand that we're approaching this from the direction of here's some of the value that comes from IRL play, certainly from the perspective of us coming back to it after having missed it for several months. Yeah, indeed. So one of the very first things right off the top, and this is a thing that I think both you and I have a lot of feelings about, is there is a very, very distinct mechanical difference in how you play Keyforge based on whether you're playing online and whether you're playing in person and how much that impacts the learning experience of a new set, a new deck. Um, It's easy to sum it up. The Crucible which is wonderful and we love, does a lot of things for you automatically. Click of a button and the thing happens. And sometimes all of the triggers, all of the different effects that take place happen and they happen very quickly as it just all happens for you automatically. You don't even need to think about it. Whereas IRL, you definitely have to actually pay attention to make those things happen because you're manually moving cards in and out of play, moving amber on and off the board and so on. Yeah, it's very true you don't have the automation which for someone learning the game for the first time is uh it actually makes it very difficult when you start online and then you move into an IRL setting because you're not going to have that uh that same i guess reflex to do things as they should be done because they mm-hmm. have been done for you and that's just the the nature of it but i mean if you really wanted to play in that fashion it's it's the truth is it is a little bit slower to play that way and you could always use a tabletop simulator mod that accommodates that if you did wish to play in a digital setting and with that as a alternative to uh, tco but at the same time if you're wanting to play games and and play as many as you can in a limited period of time then you honestly doesn't matter what you're doing cannot beat the crucible yeah, I agree with you. Interestingly, I was thinking about my own history with the Crucible, and I learned how to play Keyforge on the Crucible. Like, I, 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 before I went to my first in-store event, I got in enough games on the Crucible to learn the rules, and that's definitely 100% how I got on board with the game. And so I don't want to suggest that, you know, it's impossible to learn on the Crucible, but it wasn't until I went to that first in-store event that I really started to understand the dynamics of the gameplay. And a big part of that, I think, is just the pace of uh, IRL play versus the pace of online play, the way things happen differently. You had a really interesting point that you were talking about earlier, Blake, about the way you think about your hand in real life versus the way you think about your hand when you're playing online. Yeah. So one of the things I've noticed is a big difference between 
the two is that when I'm playing online, your cards are at the bottom of your screen and you have no, no control over how you view them. They're just there and you can either hum- hover over them and see them or see the art, but you, you're aware of what exists. When I play IRL, um, just I guess habits from playing tournaments is I always put my hand face down in between turns. I draw onto my hand face down. So if I overdraw, I can easily rectify the situation by just placing the last card back on top. No harm, no foul. And then I just pay attention to what my opponent is doing. And during that time, I'm not speculating or doing anything like that. I'm very focused on my opponent's plays. So I'm able to be very aware of what he's doing and I'm not missing anything coming down, which cannot be said the same for when you play online because sometimes there's even as well like when your opponent's acting is there there um you can see what they're doing and it's very obvious if they're thinking or, or what's going on where mm-hmm. online you don't have any representation of what your opponent is doing when there's those moments when nothing's happening so sometimes you get bored and then you or you start speculating and you start looking at all your cars like oh i can do this and this with this and you just start thinking of all these uh lines of play but after your opponent actually does act, it turns out that maybe 75% to, if not 90% of those ideas are no longer valid based on the way they've started interacting with your board, or mm-hmm. they've suddenly gone from two ember to 10 in a turn. And now you're suddenly faced with the proposition of how do you take them off check, which is something you might not have been considering before. So it just creates almost like unnecessary uh, thinking patterns that you're using to basically waste energy in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that habit that you spoke of, you the way that you put down your hand in between turns, I feel like is, is a thing that uh, I've tried to emulate from your gameplay because I know that your focus on the game is really strong and that's a thing that I struggle with. I know from talking to Rick, he and I oftentimes have the same struggle of just like, don't look at your phone. Don't think about anything else. Don't plan out a turn that you don't know exactly what your priorities are going to be come the end of your opponent's turn. Don't miss what they're doing. You know, pay attention. And that is honestly one of the best tips that I think I've ever gotten. And I think you got it at a tournament. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it was from our, our good pal, uh, Logotarian Luke, who I'm actually going to take this moment right now since we're, we're bringing him up to give him a huge congratulations. He just had his uh, first child over the weekend. So uh, congrats to him and uh, his new dad life. And I hope him and his wife are, are doing well with the, their newborn. Little Henry. Huge, huge congratulations, Luke. My goodness. Yeah, so he's uh, he's the one who, when I was in Vegas, they they talked about it. But when I played with him, it was really like, that's actually how we developed our friendship was during the time we were in Vegas together playing in the vault tour, but he really hit home for me. Like he, he kind of gave a good perspective for it. And then I tried it out and it honestly does take a little bit of practice to get used to, but once it becomes habit, it's very liberating. Yeah. And I think that's the exact correct choice of words. The, the idea, like, especially if you're in a high pressure tournament situation of being able to put down your hand and not have your mind going a thousand different places when you're you're not using that energy, you're not expending that energy and that feeling of just being like, I can just concentrate on what my opponent's doing and have a full understanding of what the game state is when I pick up my cards and think about what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other uh, thing I've, I've also noticed as well is um, I think it's it's much easier to misplay online than in real mm-hmm. life just because of the smaller card images. And there's a lot of cards in certain houses that can have a similar look. I think probably <laughs> Sanctum is the most guilty of this 
of this uh, thing because there's such great like art synergy that mm-hmm. a lot of cards look very similar. Like I think the new one is um, Lieutenant Grovenal and the one that does taunt. Oh, Lady Lorena. Be... No, no, no. Yeah, Lady Lorena, but it's the the one that uh, that cannot be damaged by mutants or oh, creatures. Oh, Ardent Hero. Yeah, I think I think those Grovenal and Ardent Hero look very similar. And if you're not careful and you have them both in your deck, you may think one is the other, which is quite significant, really, because one's a taunt, which you could be planning around protection, and then the other one is uh, allowing you to have some ember control through fighting so um it's things like that i find that you you can maybe mislook at uh the art because it's a small image and mm-hmm. think you have something that you don't and especially when you go to play and not to mention any mavericks show up in the house colors of their originated house but then just have a symbol replacing the symbol so if you the worst is when you have a maverick in the same house as something you already have in mm-hmm. your deck so there's that synergy because then you can really think you're like and 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 then the the best um, I guess perfect storm is then when you have an artifact with an omni ability. So it's like, <laughs> are you sure you want to end your turn? And you're like, yes, of course. But really, what it's asking you is the fact that you have a card in hand, not just the omni ability. So um, that one's burned me a few times. And burn me as well. And it's so much, as you point out, harder to make those kinds of mistakes IRL, which is one yeah. of the things that I think that is really great about the new set. Um, there's so much incentive to handle your decks and look at them now because mm-hmm. of enhancement as a mechanic. One of the things that I found so pleasurable about Mass Mutation is I open up a deck and it used to be with all of the other sets that I have just boxes and boxes of sealed decks because I just need to look at the the Archon card to know what's in it. And I don't need to like open it up to see, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, a dust pixie or whatever it looks like. I've seen a million dust pixies. It's always the same. And you can do just a quick scan if you didn't know one card and just look it in your app and see what that one card was. You see the art and you're like, oh yeah, this one. But now, especially with Mass Mutation, I'm taking the time to open up every single deck, look what the enhancements are, see if there's a specifically really cool enhancement. But also that means I'm just handling the cards. I'm looking at the art. I'm reading the text. I'm getting to know them better. And that's a thing that isn't as incentivized on uh, the Crucible or on any online version of Q. Um, I can't actually speak speak for Tabletop Simulator because I've never played it. I know you've had that experience. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about my mistake with Lady Lorena of not actually thinking about what her text said. And part of the problem was that I had never played with that card in real life. I had played that card on the Crucible and the Crucible just did Lady Lorena's thing for me. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. need to think about how it worked mechanically in play because the Crucible did it for me. So I never really understood it until I had to actually play it myself and understand it. And that right. was sort of the the big difference, which is a thing I think we really need to consider is there is a huge amount of value in actually physically handling your decks from the point you made, Blake, about really understanding which card is which card and knowing what the differences between the art are, especially in houses like Sanctum that have a lot of very similar cards. Um, I think that's also oftentimes the case in Star Alliance where there's a very unified presentation to a lot of cards. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then and then going along with that, like when you're when you're holding your cards, and especially with like when you're playing and you see them, you actually see everything a lot more clearly. And and it's actually I find I notice lines of play when I'm holding the cards physically a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I think that, especially with a new set, it's uh it it makes it makes more sense because you're learning new things, so you're seeing it more clearly in that way. And then when you move to an online play, you're more familiar. Like I don't have the same issue with like seeing lines with worlds collide or AOA or Coda, because I'm used to playing those in, 
in real life so much that it's just like a, a natural thing when it goes online and I have a new deck, like during when we were in quarantine and playing online, like if I had a new deck, it, it wasn't as big a deal because I was like, oh yeah, I've seen these before. I understand these lines coming together. But with a new set, you almost need that, that tactile um, examination of the cards and seeing things come together because they're not small images that you're hovering over individually to see them. You're seeing them as a collective together in your mm -hmm. hand, which is allowing you to just bring those lines of play together better. And I'm sure there's some people who can very efficiently do this without holding them. But for me personally, I find when I'm actually holding the cards and doing that examination, things come together a lot more clearly for me. Yeah, that's actually one of the great pleasures of Keyforge is opening up a new deck and sorting cards that complement one another together. And, you know, you've taken a million pictures for Instagram. I've done the same thing where, you know, you open up a new deck that's got like a hot kind of fun combo and you just take a little picture of just like, oh, you know, these cards work super well together. But it's just a different way of approaching the game that you don't really get the experience of doing uh, when you're just dealing with a deck online. And I really dig that. Yeah, like, for example, when we played our game, um, when I when I said, I'm bringing my hot deck, and you're like, sure, let's do it. And I and it's my triple rad penny deck. I had no idea about the spike trap idea and then getting to cycle them again, mm -hmm. which which we did, like, starting out. And I played that deck. I opened it online and played it for the first time online during a stream. And I played it a couple times online. And I that, that thought, like, didn't even occur to me. But as soon as it was, like, right there in my hand playing with you in real life for the first time with it, I was like oh, wow, this is going to be awesome. Another point I really wanted to bring up, and this is an important one to me, is that when you're playing uh, in real life, you're more inclined to narrate your turn. Mm. The thing about playing online is that oftentimes, like, you're just not on chat. Like, I'm very rarely on Discord when I'm playing online, unless I'm playing with you or Rick or somebody else that I know well or has been arranged as such ahead of time. The vast majority of the time, I'm just like watching the chat window to see if the person like wants to manual for something. So it, it is this thing where you can follow the gameplay if you're already familiar with how all the cards work, if you're already familiar with how all the interactions work, but you just aren't at the beginning of a new like set. You know, I, there was at least three occasions this past Sunday when we were playing Blake where you and I had to like pause games or the other people we were playing with paused games so that we could quickly talk together about how an interaction would work. And I think that's really healthy because it means that we're all working together to have a good gameplay experience as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, oh, I don't understand why this happened on the crucible and the other person just like stonewalling you or just saying, yeah, it must be a bug or I don't know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, you also, like you said, on the crucible, there is that chat window which is documenting every play that happens. So if you don't know what's going on, you can just scroll up and read what's happening where if someone was to literally do stuff and not say anything they're doing in real life, like there is no chat window. You, you need to be uh, have that line of communication telling you what is happening. Yeah. And that communication is so important for learning. Like, you know, whether you're an experienced player learning a new set or you're a brand new player, which we all were at some point, at some point you, you need to know what your opponent is doing. Because if they're just moving cards around and you don't understand what they're doing, then the game's no fun. It's just frustrating. And I think we've all had that experience. We've had an opponent who gets kind of inside their own head and forgets to sort of like narrate what they're doing as they're doing it. And I think that's oftentimes a thing where you just go, hold up, can you just let me know what you're doing. Can you just spell it out for me as we go along so that we can help maintain the state of the game? I, I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, a thing that, you know, 
even experienced players, even people who played a million games of Keyforge can occasionally get into that headspace where they're going a million miles a minute and they forget to move their mouth to let you know or to let their opponent know what's going on. It is important to develop. It's the same thing. It's a habit you need to develop of communicating your play. And if you play in any high-level tournament, it is actually, I think, a rule that exists. Like If you're not communicating correctly, you're actually not playing uh, the tournament at the level you should be because you're just providing a situation of confusion of mistakes and uh, potential judge calls yeah absolutely the last point and this one's debatable so i'd be interested to know what your thoughts are on it blake is i find it easy to be less distracted when i am playing in real life it's easier for me to put my phone away it's easier for me to just focus on the game as it's happening whereas if i'm playing online and we have those moments on the crucible where you know your opponent's taking a long time you know maybe it's at the the house selection stage and you're just waiting for what feels like a million years it's probably like 30 seconds for them to choose what house they're going to play and the temptation is always to get up and go and get something to drink from the kitchen, uh, to open up another window and check your email, uh, to check Facebook, uh, to pull out your phone and see if anybody texted you, to check Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I find that that temptation when you have another person sitting in front of you and you're playing a game together and there's a level of respect that comes from we're playing this game together and I want to respect your turn the way you respect my turn really helps me focus in on gameplay. Yeah, I don't do any of those things ever. <laughs> I don't even listen to music when I play Keyforge online. I literally just focus as if it was I was actually playing. Uh, I don't know why that is. I think it's it's because I can't get into the game and follow what's happening if I my attention somewhere else. So I just been staying true to to doing that. I, I maybe check my phone uh, if Discord's going off and messages are coming in, but generally if that's happening, it's usually related to Keyforge anyways. So I'm still kind of in the the mind space of the Keyforge gameplay. So uh, yeah, I got to say that when I'm playing IRL, that that's never a thing for me unless like, like I have a, a watch that sets up alerts. So if I get a message or something, I look and I can just see what's happening and be aware. But unless it's a, like if it's not a tournament and it's something pressing or someone I need to respond to, I'll send a quick message. But for the most part, that just extra form of communication there uh, I have as a means to just know and be aware of what's happening without having to actually respond. And uh, I think when I'm playing tournaments, I actually just mute those notifications because I don't want that extra level of distraction. But yeah, you're, you're right. When you're playing IRL, there is like the, the fact that you're always talking to your opponent doesn't allow the same level of distraction to happen because there isn't just silence of you sitting there. And some people don't like sitting in silence. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. I mean, all of this eventually just comes back to the fact that if you have the opportunity to play IRL, um, it might not be your cup of tea, right? Like some people don't want to mm -hmm. go to the game store uh, and play with strangers and they don't have friends that they can't play with. To them, Keyforge is an online game in its entirety, and that is okay. This is entirely a conversation about the value you can get from IRL play and to sort of encourage you if you have the opportunity to play in real life safely, considering the current circumstances, what value you might find in that, especially too when we're at the dawn of a new set, when you're thinking about new mechanics, when you're thinking about new ideas, when the whole shape of the game is changing in a lot of ways, uh, I think there's a tremendous amount of value in that in real life play. Yeah, and there's and there's still ways even with the current climate that you can play not at a game store. Like you can get together with your friend. Our good pal Zach from Call of Discovery said that he was playing with a friend where they were literally playing outside on a table 
And what they would do is they would stand back from the table when one person does their turn, articulate their turns, move the tokens as needed. And then when their turn was done, they'd rock some hand sanitizer and step back. And then the next person comes in, does the same thing. And so no one is together at the table, but you're still able to understand what's going on. So that's uh, if you're really concerned and still want to play with a friend, that is a, a really great way, I thought, to have that human interaction and IRL experience without getting too involved with uh, one another and being able to keep that social distance. A hundred percent agreed. Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the segment that the podcast is named for. It's called Help Help from Future Self. Self. Blake, what wisdom do you have to impart this week? Well, this is kind of a lesson learned, but not from a negative experience. It's just something that happened. So as we were talking about this here, about this IRL aspect of playing, this felt really appropriate. And over the past week, um, weekend, when Alex and I got together and played, I noticed I had a deck that had a very strong mutant theme in it. And I didn't notice it, even though I played it a couple times before, until I was holding the cards and could really see those traits. Because again, like we said, on the Crucible, you're not seeing things as clearly because they're such small images, which is understandable. There's no way they could be full-size images and you could Mm -hmm. properly take in everything that has to happen. But I started noticing that the traits of creatures in this set is so important into a level that's never existed before in the game. There's only been a couple cards, like I think less than three, that have identified a trait as a means for something that happens. I think one of them is Extinction is the one that that has that and the Custom Virus. I think those are the only two cards that that have that. Uh, Maybe wrong with Extinction. But as a result, there is now actual themes of mutants and non-mutants that are within most mass mutation decks. And some people are like, oh, I didn't even get the mutant theme and et cetera, et cetera. But you are going to get these decks that have a crazy mutant theme with a synergy that goes with it on another level. And that happened to me. And I was just totally blown away by some of the things you could do. So pay attention to the traits on your cards because you'd be surprised at the synergy there can exist within a mass mutation deck with that. So when you're playing online, you may need to actually pull out your deck and kind of lay it in front of you and start uh, trying to analyze those things. Uh, There's certain cards that really make the mutant uh, theme come to life. And obviously Pissmire and the Professor Torado is one that uh, really comes to mind because you can really utilize those mutant traits to your advantage your opponent can too so you got to be aware of the matchup as well yeah and i think it's also legit to ask your opponent hey how many mutants do you have on the board yep 100 percent. that's a total total uh allowed call because it's there and especially if you're playing with a barrier or something it's not easy to see mm-hmm. uh, you can clarify those things yeah and if you have somebody you know not to, to piggyback too much off of your your help from future self here blake but if you have somebody who's sort of reticent when you ask them for that kind of information like occasionally i've had people grumble a little bit if i ask about things like their discard and stuff like that it's both players responsibility to maintain the game state and if a card that you're going to play is dependent on that information then it's up to your opponent to help you maintain the game state so don't 100%. don't let anybody scare you off by by grumbling or nothing like that not that we have anybody like that in our local scene everybody in our scene's cool yeah Ooh. you can find us on twitter at hffs podcast you can find me at scuzzy gruen on the crucible and on instagram and on twitter where can they find you blake 
You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. And I'm streaming every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at Boulevard Blake for my Twitch. And I uh, hope you guys come hang out as I jam some mass mutations. Hey, are you going to be rocking new decks? Oh, yeah. Always. I basically, uh, I basically open decks and put them on YouTube. And then when the week comes around, I start playing uh, those decks on stream. That's how I that's how I do it. Love that format. Be sure to check it out. Thanks for joining us on Help from Future Self this week. Always a pleasure to get to talk about the game of Keyforge. We'll be back at you next time, hopefully with some more insights into mass mutation in the game. Until then, stay forged.